0: I almost feel as if we've had some sermons this morning. Uh, thank you, Evan, and and also Rob for for taking us to places where we needed to be taken. Almost feel that we could say amen, and you could finish early, and you could have uh, that uh, those wonderful Q and A at the at the end of the uh, the service today. But we still have 20 25 minutes to, to to fill in. So that's my job this morning, and I hope. That's uh, what I'm about to say uh, to you will take us further uh, to places of glory that we have already been taken this morning. I suppose as a Christian I'm supposed to love every book of the Bible equally. It's a bit like being a parent, you're supposed to love every child uh, that you have equally but you sort of have your, your favourites but you don't tell anybody about it. And um, and and i think that's the sort of the, the same with us as christians we're supposed to love every book of the bible equally but we have our favorites don't we and i must admit that the book of ephesians is one of the books that i love more deeply than others i just love this book when i read it and if you've been reading it so far uh, hopefully you feel the same but when i read it my inner being is both stirred and challenged by its content. I'm stirred when I read the blessings of chapter 1, which you covered last week. To read that I'm chosen, that I'm predestined, that I'm redeemed, that I'm made blameless and holy, that I'm forgiven, that I'm included in Christ, that I'm sealed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, takes my soul to the heights of glory. Does it do it? The same for you? As you read those things, do you get excited about it? Does, does the, 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 the gut inside of you, the spiritual gut inside of you, is it raised to the heights of glory? When I read those things, my soul soars. And to know that all of this has been done for me so that I might be for the praise of his glory. Not my glory, but for his glory. And I must admit, at times I just become overwhelmed by the riches of God's grace that He has lavished on me and on you. Sometimes it is just too much to bear. Do you feel like that sometimes when you read these passages? When you read of what God's grace has lavished on you, does it just become too much to bear? If it doesn't, then it should, because of the the great riches that we talk about. And then, as I read on in this book, I'm sobered, as I'm challenged by Paul urging me and you to walk worthy of the calling that I have received. These are the more practical aspects of the letter that uh, you will be dealing with later in the series. The responsibility to live my life in a manner that is worthy of what my Saviour and my Heavenly Father have done for me overwhelms me. And at times is almost as much too much to bear as being stirred, by the things that God has given me. Why do I love this book? I love this book because it tells me everything that I've been given. But it also tells me everything that is expected of me as a follower of Jesus. What a privilege it is, therefore, to study this book. But before we look at the passage that I've I've been given today, I just want to to, to make a, a, a few brief overall comments about the content of this book. One of the things that you might have noticed if you've read through the book of Ephesians is that this book neither c- contains any specific criticism of its readers nor seems to address a particular heresy. They were u- the usual reasons why Paul wrote a letter to a church or a group of believers. He was either Dealing with a particular criticism of how they were living their lives or he was dealing with a particular heresy. But here, neither reason is clearly dominant. It seems that Paul just wanted them to understand their blessings and to behave accordingly. He wanted, to underst- wanted them to understand the depth of and the responsibilities associated with grace. Paul's main focus was therefore to help these believers to understand God's big picture, to comprehend his eternal plans and purposes and to raise them to the very seat of the Father. As you read the first three chapters of this letter, the focus, that focus is particularly evident. There is regular reference to it and Paul desperately wanted his people to understand it. And we see that shown in two of his prayers. For example, in uh, chapter 1 and verses 17 to 19, Paul prays that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, and he goes on. In chapter 3, verses 17 to 20, he prays that you being rooted and established in love may grasp how wide and long and high, and he goes on, you see, Paul wanted them to understand grace and he wanted them to understand the blessings that they had. But Paul just wasn't interested in transporting them to heaven. He also wanted them to understand how to apply God's big picture to their everyday life. And as such, we, we see him later outlining for his readers very practical teachings about how they should live in light of what God calls them to be. These practical lifestyle teachings are found in the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. It's as if Paul's teaching or thinking was along these lines. When you understand the mind and plan of God for you, you will in turn know how he wants you to live. And so in chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul exhorts the readers to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. He says, I want you to live a life worthy of what I have just spent three chapters outlining you, outlining to you. It's as if he's saying, I want you to get a hold of that, and once you've got a hold of that, once you've been taken to the heights of glory, once you have understood what God has done for you, what he has achieved for you, it's only then that you can walk walk worthy of the calling that you have received. And so it's within this context that we come to the passage for consideration this morning, where Paul prays that they will be enlightened. This is the first of two recorded prayers in this book. The other is found in in chapter 3. And when I was thinking about this, it it, it sort of surprised me because um, prayer is not something that I automatically associate with Paul. He strikes me more as a doer somebody who gets on and, and gets the job done, rather than someone who was renowned for his prayer. There are other people that I would more closely associate with prayer. Paul was a doer, but he was also a prayer. And I would suggest that being a doer for God necessitates prayer. And there's an important lesson there for, for, for each of us. Paul was a doer, but he was a prayer. And for him to be a doer, he had to be a prayer. And so in this prayer, Paul prays for two specific things. But he has in mind four outcomes. His prayer is for God to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And secondly, for them to be enlightened. But he has four outcomes in mind, if you notice them. The outcomes are for them to know the Father better, to know the hope to which the Father has called them, to know the riches of the Father's glorious inheritance in the saints and finally to know the Father's incomparably great power for those who believe. Have you noticed the thrust of this prayer? You know, I don't know about you but when I pray, I tend to pray for Somebody's physical safety, pray for their current circumstances, to pray for their material wealth, pray for their health, pray for, and it's very earthly oriented. But Paul's focus was about their soul, the state of their soul, and the quality of the relationship that they had with their Heavenly Father. In other instances in the New Testament, he does pray for, for people's practical circumstances. But here, his main focus was about their, the state of their soul and their spiritual health, the, the, the health of their relationship with their God. I wonder what your focus is when you pray for others. Do you seek, along with the practical needs that they might have, do you seek their spiritual health? And again, that's that's an incredibly important lesson for you and for me when we pray. What is the most important thing that somebody needs? It's about their relationship with their God. It's the state of their soul. And do I pray for that, as Paul does here? Paul's prayer is effectively for the Father to do a spiritual work in them, to touch their soul, to touch their being. It's a prayer of grace, if you notice, because it's again involving the Father doing something for us that we do not rightly deserve. I want to say something about this. Here Paul prays that God would do a work in them, that God would change them, that God would touch their very being, and yet we all know That for change to occur, God and you and God and me have to work hand in hand. Every time God works in us, it requires a response from us. All of God's work requires me responding to him. This is a consistent theme in scripture. For change to occur, God must work in me and I must respond to that work. They go hand in hand. Change can't occur without these reciprocal responses. It's no different in this book. Our Father's work of giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and opening our eyes is essential, but it demands a response from me. I wonder what your response will be this morning as... Your father and my father stirs your heart and inner being this morning. And he will do it. And the question is, what will be your response? Will you respond to God stirring your heart? Or will you allow those stirrings to remain dormant? Might I respectfully warn against the latter? If you read the book of Hebrews, for example, the writer of the Hebrews set before his readers a number of things. And then he warns them. And he warns them by a reference to an Old Old Testament uh, reference where God had warned his people, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We should not presume that God will touch our hearts again. More than likely he will because we have a persistent God who wants to work in our lives. He wants to move us into action. He wants us to move us closer to him and he will stir our hearts. He will be like the the hound of heaven that chases us but we can never presume that God will touch our hearts again. And so this morning... As God speaks to you, as God stirs your inner being, respond. Let's look at this prayer in more detail. In chapter chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul does an interesting thing here. He, he praises them for their faith and their love. Paul had noticed something very special about these particular believers. And this was something that we have echoed in other letters that Paul wrote. For example, if you look at the book of Thessalonians, Paul again noticed something very, very striking about the believers there. Paul knew how to challenge people when it was required, but he also knew how to encourage them, to note the positives about them when they should be noticed. I wonder whether this is an attitude that um, you have developed in your Christian walk. You know, we're very good at being critical. We are very good at figuring out what the other person has done that is wrong. We can do it almost by second nature. We're very proficient at criticising. Let us be as proficient in noting the positive about others and pointing it out to them, just as Paul did here. He had no qualms about saying, Ephesians, I've noticed some things about you. I've noticed your, your faith and I've noticed your love. But it's interesting that these two things are highlighted here because this opening comment by Paul highlights what our Father deems to be important qualities for His church to possess. I wonder what you would want to be known for. If somebody was to walk in to this church off the street this morning, what would they see? Would they see what Paul Points out about these believers at Ephesus. Would they see faith? Would they see faith in Jesus? And would they see the love for all the saints? I wonder what people would notice about this church. Paul noticed two main things about the Ephesians church their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints and because of these things he could not stop giving thanks for him it was if when he thought about these things he he just couldn't stop it he gives a sense here that when I think about your faith Ephesian church when I think about your love for the saints I just can't stop giving thanks for you it must have overwhelmed him when he saw their faith And when he saw their love. You know, Paul, I imagine, was a hard man to please. He was a driven man who had high expectations not only for himself but for everybody else around him. In some ways, I would have hated to be on his ministry team. He would have driven you and he would have driven you incessantly because he had this enormous passion for his Saviour. For him to be impressed, by this church by their faith and by their love to the point where he said I can't stop even if I wanted to I can't stop giving thanks for you it must have been pretty powerful faith and it must have been pretty powerful love you know Paul can't comment about this church but Jesus can and Jesus will one day I wonder what his assessment of this church at Montmorency would be. It's interesting reading the f- chapters two and chapters three of the Book of Revelation. In there Jesus assesses seven churches. And it's interesting that he assesses the church at Ephesus, and his assessment is interesting. Whilst he is highly complimentary of this church, he nevertheless calls them to repent because they had forsaken their first love. What is it that Jesus would say of Montmorency? Are there areas of repentance that need to occur within this community? Are there first loves that have been forsaken? Are there there other areas of church community that need to be dealt with? Are there areas of forgiveness? Are there areas of apology? If this church is like any other church, then the answer to that question is yes. I've been in enough churches to know that Christians sometimes are not very good at forgiving. And they're not very good at making an apology that needs to be made. And so what would Jesus' assessment be of Montmorency? Of you as a group of his people? Part of his body of believers? Would he call for repentance? Would he call for change? That is only something that you as a church can answer. Or you as an individual can answer. And so we get to his prayers. And as I mentioned before, Paul prays for two specific things and for four outcomes to emerge from them. You know, when you boil it down, when you get down to the very nuts and bolts, the essence of the outcomes that Paul is looking for in the lives of these believers is that they will get it that they will understand all that he had just been telling them about, that for them the penny would drop and that they would appreciate what God has given to them. That's essentially what he was praying for. It was as if Paul, after his great teaching on the spiritual blessings, has to stop and he has to pray that it will sink in before he can take them any further. Maybe Paul was concerned that, um, that they would read the passage on all these blessings and then forget what they had been taught. Does it sound familiar? It sounds like me. I read a passage and I read it and I, it doesn't sink in. Maybe I read it too quickly. Maybe I don't read it prayerfully and as a result... Those great passages in the Bible don't sink in. I don't get it. How often have we been presented with a wonderful truth and then had an attitude that basically reflects, well, so what? So what? It seemed that Paul recognised that understanding grace must be known at a deeper level than the head. It must reach the heart and the only way this is going to be done is through a spiritual experience that originates from God himself. And so he prays and he prays fervently that that would occur because he knew that unless they understood the blessings of grace on a deep and meaningful level, they would never appreciate what he was eventually going to teach them about walking worthy of the calling if they didn't understand the calling not just here but in here then they wouldn't understand why they should walk worthy of it they had to understand it and so he prays that God would speak to their heart to touch their inner being isn't isn't it the same for you and me If we don't get grace at that gut level, then we don't get anything about the Christian life. If we don't understand grace here instead of here, then we just don't get it. If we don't understand the cross and what it cost our Saviour to die for me, then I won't get anything. If I don't understand what it cost the father to send his son to die for me, then I don't get anything. And so Paul prays. He prays that they would get it, that the penny would drop. Paul's first prayer was that with God the father doing a spiritual work in their lives, that their relationship with their heavenly father would be better, he said. And in many respects that mirrors what Jesus had to say in in John 17 where Jesus proclaims the essence of eternal life, namely for people to know the Father and for him. Can I suggest that this goal of knowing our Father better, that goal has always been and should always be the goal of you and me as followers of Jesus to know our Saviour and to know our Heavenly Father better. This is our primary life purpose. Is it yours? Is it mine? Or is my life being consumed by other things? By work? By study? By relationships? By money? By a whole variety of other things? Or is my primary focus in life what Paul here prays would occur in their life that they would know their father better. That as they understood grace, as it got from here to here, that they would know their father better. And then, secondly, he prays that the eyes of their understanding and inner awareness would be opened. You know, what an interesting term. You know, Jesus often spoke about people seeing and yet not seeing of people hearing and yet not understanding. And what he put it down to, and it's recorded in Matthew 13, is people having a hardened and callous heart. That's the thing that stopped people from seeing, really seeing, and really understanding. And so Paul's prayer here is that my heart and your heart would become opened and responsive and obedient. The outcome of this prayer would be that they would know, not simply at an intellectual level, but more importantly at a level that would be soul-changing. And in fact, this is the meaning of the word that Paul uses here, to know. His goal is that they would really understand. The hope to which... They had been called the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those who believe. I find it interesting in this this final part of this this prayer that Paul doesn't expand on those first two areas. Have you noticed that? He doesn't expand on the hope. He doesn't expand on the riches. And I asked myself when I was looking through it, why? Well, the answer is very simple because he had just spent the initial part of his letter explaining what they were. If you want to know what the hope is, if you want to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, then read verses 3 to 14. And so he doesn't expand on it. It's as if he can't add much to what he had already stated. He simply prays prays that God would cause them to get it to understand it. Last week, Rob presented to you our Heavenly Father's blessings for you and for me. Have you got it? Have you got it? I know some of you were probably very shy, but did you get it? As you sat listening to what Rob had to say last week, did you get it? Have you thanked your father for the hope to which you've been called and the riches of his inheritance for you. Have you done that yet? Well, if you haven't, then you need to do it today. Because that's what Paul is praying, not only for the Ephesians, but for you and for me, that we will get it to the point where we just say, thank you, Father. Not just with words, but that heartfelt, gut-wrenching, thank you, Father, all of those things that you've given me he simply prays that we will get it maybe we need to pray for that that I need to pray for that that you need to pray for that that our father would help us to get it but interestingly Paul chooses to elaborate on the last the incomparably great power for us who believe and why? because he hadn't previously explained it really And so he spends the next four verses doing so. So what's the thrust? What's the description or the purpose of Paul's description of this incomparably great power? Because he spends quite a bit of time on it. Is it, as some have suggested, to enable me to personally tap into this great power source that will allow me to do everything for God? I've heard some people talk in those terms. That the purpose of it really was say so that I would know what great power because it's the power that, that, that raised Jesus from the dead and set him at the right hand of the Father and I have access to that power and therefore I can do all things I don't believe so I don't think that's Paul's focus here Paul certainly believed that through Jesus he could do anything but that's not what he was focusing on here In fact, that would be against all that he had been seeking to get his people to understand, namely that they should be eternally thankful and responsive to their father. Paul's focus here is more on helping them to appreciate that their conversion was not a product of their own power and self-reformation. Instead, it was a product of God engaging in a supernatural activity with them that could not be explained in any other way except that God had done the work. That the Father had done the work just as he had done with Jesus. And when you understand that, the response is grace. Father, I haven't done this. You've done it. How do I know you've done it? You've done it because you raised Jesus from the dead. You raised my Saviour from the dead and you seated him at your right hand and you did it. And when you saved me, that same power was be demonstrated. Father, thank you. Such a focus would only do one thing, It would cause people, his readers, to do what they would do in response to understanding the hope and the riches of his glorious inheritance. It would cause them to be thankful. You know, the fundamental purpose of Paul's prayer was his readers to be thankful. To be thankful. As their spiritual eyes and hearts were opened to appreciate All that their Heavenly Father had achieved for them. I would suggest that Paul just wanted them to say thank you. A thank you that came as they understood their own condition, they understood what their Father had done for them, and just left them feeling thankful and grateful. Are you eternally thankful this morning? Are you eternally thankful this morning? If your heart is not welling up in gratitude, at this moment, if your heart is not responding with a simple Father, thank you for all of the blessings that you've given me, for the hope, for the riches, Father, I just want to say thank you. I can't say anything more. I'm not going to say a long prayer, Father. I'm just going to say thank you, Father. If you're not doing that now, then what on earth is stopping you from doing so? Is it because you don't understand grace? If you don't understand grace, then go to the cross. Because when you go to the cross, you'll understand grace all that Paul was really praying in a nutshell was that they would be so touched by god that they would understand the riches of grace and in so doing that they would be thankful may we as we consider this passage what we looked at last what you looked at last week and what we've looked at this morning and what you will be looking at later on in this book that you would be thankful let's pray Father you need to do a work in us we know that because we are so weak and frail and Father I just pray that you would touch my heart and touch the heart of everyone here so that we would say thank you Father because we know that that's all that you want us to do is to say thank you We ask this this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.